Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes. Welcome to Tech Radio. For 10 years, the number one Irish tech podcast bringing you the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, as well as our show on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify and SoundCloud, you can also hear us each Friday on RTE with RTE Radio 1 Extra. And every day during the week, we keep you up to date on all things tech, of course, with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. Joining me, as always, is our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson. Uh, Niall, I can't believe uh, that Ireland has a space plan. We do, we do. There is a plan, there is a strategy, if you will. Uh, So uh, earlier this week, just to to put a little bit of meat on those bones, the government revealed the National Space Strategy for Enterprise, and this is going to run from this year up until 2025. So there's a a little bit of long-term planning involved here. And we've talked about the space economy on the show a few times now. And one of the things I think companies aren't aware of is the extent to which something that they're working on might actually have applications in the space economy. Uh, you remember, I think it was um, Peter McCarville, I think his name was, uh, who works in DCU Alpha, and it was basically his job to help companies recognise if their idea um, has applications. So very often, the European Space Agency issues these tenders, quite quite regularly, actually, and companies just reply to them, and they, they either get the tender or they don't. But... You know, the the case often is that people who do have solutions aren't aware that they have them in the first place. So part of the plan is to, I guess, create awareness of the space economy uh, or create more what they're calling space active companies um, that are either uh, looking to have applications in the space economy or are being set up specifically for generating ideas for the space economy. So the plan the, the outputs of the plan. Are we interested? Uh, yes. I, I, just to kind of, so as I understand that I'm up to speed with you. Mm. Basically, kind of what you're saying is people forget that Europe is very much an active part of the of the space race. Like for many, many mm. years, everybody thought like Boeing was like the only airplane manufacturer in the world. And then Airbus came along, which is a European project. Yeah. So the European Space Agency does do an awful lot of work uh, in space. So we're kind of go, all right, well, you've got NASA, but remember, you've got the European Space Agency. And by getting that mm. message across, then it's just it's like when I started off, I said, we have a space plan question mark and you went of course we do so it's kind of just to allow companies to kind of who might say oh <laughs> can you imagine the astronauts using that in space or that never happened we don't know anybody in nasa to getting them think thinking well maybe we could talk to the european space agency because the department of whatever in dublin we're talking about it and that's exactly it because the things that the ESA are looking for, you can forget about propulsion systems, that kind of thing. Look, they've, they've got people who can who can do that thing. Um, don't think that big. What you might be uh, of interest to them might be, you know, I've come up with a different kind of ceiling bolt. Or, you know, I've, I've come up with something with a piece of software that can make navigation, you know, 10% more efficient or effective or requires less, less RAM or system resources. These are the things the ESA will be looking for. And, you know, not huge projects, but little things that companies are either using already or can base themselves around quite cost effectively. 
So if you come up with a really neat idea for a pen or a writing implement or if you have a neat idea for a new seatbelt or whatever it happens to be, these are the kind of things that could be of interest. They certainly could. I mean, it's such a it's such a broad, um, a broad church when it comes to this stuff. So do, do you want to go through uh, the, the plan, the, the outputs? Absolutely. Yes, please. Okay, right. Uh, there are sort of six sort of key tenets that the government is interested in. So they want to double the uh, space related revenue uh, and employment in what they're referring to as space space active companies. So they basically want to double the uh, extent to which the, the sector is active. Uh, specifically, they're looking to support 100 companies to uh, benefit from engagement with the European Space Agency. So that's kind of, I'm not going to say it's a cutoff, but that's their that's their goal. We want to support 100 companies. Uh, and part of that is they're going, they're looking to double the value of contracts won through the EU Horizon program. Now, this is a program that will be familiar to an awful lot of people in science and research, um, people working uh, with Science Foundation Ireland, this sort of thing. They'll be used to engaging with the Horizon 2020 program, which is basically um, you make your proposal to Europe and they go through all the entries that they get in and it's across the EU and they, they have a, a large pot of funding that they will uh, pars out as they as they see fit. So this is sort of a greater engagement with European uh, level sources of income. So they also want to increase industry, public and international awareness of space in general and Ireland's um, sort of interest therein. So again, it's it's a little bit of a charm offensive just to get people so where oh yeah okay we we can do things or you know I've got this alloy sitting around that we're using in you know. Application one, this might be of interest as well. Um, the next one, develop and attract talent for space active and related industry. Talent is a huge thing. If you ask software developers, if you ask researchers, talent is the problem, or rather, it's not the problem, but it's a significant problem. Mm. Um, you know, uh, as we've seen in software development, there is such a dearth of uh, qualified talent out there that, um, you know, the wages are actually pretty good in the sector uh, and in the States they are absolutely ridiculous just because there aren't enough people doing the work. Uh, And this is going to be a problem in the space industry, but I think not many people know that it is even uh, something they can experiment with. Uh, And lastly, they want, and this is pretty cool, Dusty, you're going to love this, to develop a sustainable earth operation Oh, sorry, Earth Observation Services Sector, based on advanced data analytics capability. Well, I, I love that whole story because it is, you know, it's it's the kind of the history of Ireland, particularly the recent history of Ireland, where we punch way above our <clears> weight, <throat> or we shoot, we literally shoot for the moon. <laughs> And why not? And why not? Listen, the uh, other big story of the week that we're keeping an eye on is Facebook and the new Facebook digital currency. Ha <laughs> ha! I'm laughing at this for a reason. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, you've been keeping track of this as well. So it, it's going to be called Libra. It's hitting the, well, for want of a better word, shelves. It's going on release next year. Um, and it's it's not quite a cryptocurrency. It's what they call a stable coin. So it's not, you know, a cryptocurrency is based on a speculative value. It's whatever the market thinks it's worth. A stable coin sort of a product of a, sort of a, a consortium or whatever, an agreement amongst industry partners that the currency is worth X, Y, Z. So its its value is a much more, for want of a better term, stable. Mm. Um, so uh, there is the Libra off to one side, and that's being looked after by um, 
Well, is, it, is it a foundation? It's a conglomerate. Um, and Facebook is now working on a product uh, which is a digital wallet, which will be something that's familiar to uh, uh, fans of uh, cryptocurrency, which is called Calibra. And you're going to love this. Have you read the release from Calibra? I haven't read the Calibra? release itself. No, go on. What does okay. it say? Right. Here we go. Make me giggle. Strap in. Okay. Here we go. According to, uh, to Facebook, uh, in time, we, this is Facebook, hope to offer additional services for people and businesses like paying bills with the push of a button, buying a cup of coffee with the scan of a code or riding your public transit system without needing to carry cash or a metro pass. Well, a lot of people have that, those aspirations. <laughs> I actually don't think that's funny at all. <laughs> oh, oh, really? Do you use contactless payments by any chance? Uh, I do, yes. Are you familiar with the Lewis card? Uh, of course I am, yes. Then why would you wait on Facebook? But, well, precisely. There you things. go. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, yes. When you when you put it that way, yes. Uh, uh, I can see them wanting to get into that. Sure, Apple Pay wants to get. I saw a guy the other day paying for his coffee with his Apple Watch. I was going, oh God, no. <laughs> <laughs> but but like, I, know- I'll, t- I'll tell you what I think is interesting about this uh, uh, whole Facebook story this week is that Facebook want to launch a currency, and this is a brand where eighty percent of their users don't trust them. Yeah, I think that's a very valid point. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but, and everybody's reaction, yourself included, uh, seems to be just one of laughing going, oh, Facebook and money, are you crazy? Um, yeah. But then it's also interesting to see that they do have a lot of very serious names involved with them. I mean, you've got Lyft and Uber and yada yada and services, but uh, you've got MasterCard and Visa signed up for this as well. So it's like Stripe mm. as well. Exactly. Yeah. So it's kind PayPal, of... eBay. And then in the back of my head, I'm just thinking Star Trek, episode of Star Trek and two characters talking and it's like, blah, blah, you owe me a fiver and one takes out his tricorder and he just hits a button and goes, oh, there you go. Did you do that already? <laughs> oh, point to talk to you i'm obviously way behind the time <laughs> you made me feel so shows, bad <laughs> it just shows how archaic the american banking system is if this Actually, is considered innovation do you know what that's 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 very true the americans are so behind us when it comes to to, to payments it's unbelievable yeah. so yeah i suppose maybe that's why it's such a radical thing and maybe that's why here in europe that uh, we're kind of having a little giggle about it anyway listen that's it that's the news for this week now as always thanks for keeping us up to date this is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's TechCentral.ie. The Industry Research and Development Group's Design Thinking Ireland event is taking place at Croke Park in Dublin next Tuesday and Wednesday, the 25th and 26th of June. One of this year's keynote speakers is Holly O'Driscoll, who's CEO at Ampersand Innovation and the former global design thinking leader for Procter & Gamble. She spoke to Niall Kitson about how organisations can use human-centred design to make better products and the value of a good story. In conversations I've had before about design thinking, there seems to be something of a process behind it. Some people seem to adopt a a five-point process. Some people go for a seven-point process. But for something that sounds quite ephemeral, it sounds like there should be a more holistic approach to it. Would you agree with that? Yeah, Neil, I really couldn't agree more. I do think that having a holistic approach to driving a design thinking mindset is really important. And I I know a lot of people have been trained in the approach um, and really taught 
that, you know, this is a process, either a five or seven point. And, and I actually don't think the, the five or seven really matters. I think it's really a deep understanding of um, human centeredness is really the core of, of design thinking and grounded in the principles of, of empathy, of you know, a well-framed problem of ideation, prototyping, and testing. And um, as long as those principles are brought to life, I think, um, you know, the, the process should be quite flexible. In fact, one of the things I'll be talking about at the IRDG event is how do you cultivate a design thinking mindset such that in everyday interactions in the business, you're able to bring a human-centered point of view to life. And what I find is the teams that do more of that work that bring the mindset to work every day are really the most effective and the most innovative because they start not only with with empathy for the people that they're solving for, maybe their customers, consumers, clients, um, but actually for each other internally. And so making it an everyday practice really does help to infuse the mindset and therefore kind of bring more depth and understanding and experience to the principles that make up the philosophy of design thinking. However, this does speak to a point where you're talking about cultivating design thinking, but under which circumstances and which sort of environment and who gets to contribute to that particular culture or mindset. So how would you react to, say, an organization that seems particularly rigid, that knows there is this thing called design thinking, but really wants to get sort of a prescriptive uh, appearance on it or a prescriptive structure on it? So how do you sell the idea that everybody's opinion is worth something? Mm, yeah, I think it's a great question because it's places, it's a place where teams often get hung up, right? Mm. And so one of the things I do is spend some time really understanding the dynamics inside the organization, um, understanding the conditions there. What are the, the ingoing conditions, the initial conditions inside of, of a team or inside of an overall enterprise to, to really figure out, are they ready to go down this path anyway, right? Because one of the things that, that I learned a few years back is um, if a, a business is committed to making the investment in design thinking training and not committed to bringing the leaders along in the journey, I think the investment isn't fully realized. And here's why. The leaders really play such a key part in creating the conditions where other people can can raise their hand and feel like they can safely offer a different point of view or offer a wild and crazy idea and to not be judged for that later. And I find in organizations that are, are really kind of mired in hierarchy um, and a little more rigid, sometimes that's harder to do because often there's a lot more fear. And mm-hmm. so kind of walking the, the team through an assessment of, you know, are you ready to do this kind of work? Are the right cultural components in place? Um, I kind of think of it as, as you know, if you're going to plant a tree, you kind of pay attention to, does the tree like sun or shade? And you put it in the sun or the shade, and you make sure the soil conditions are right. And I think really kind of planting a new approach, a new mindset inside of an organization um, should be looked at in quite the same way. And the leader plays such a critical role that um, really spending some time up front on is this organization, is this team even ready to go down this path is really a good use of time, a good investment, because uh, I think it's it's a whole lot better to do that work up front and to help guide the team to the right conditions rather than take them down the, the path of, hey, we're going to jump in full force on design thinking and and then see it not 
fully realize its potential because of the conditions not really matching what's needed to, to deliver a different kind of thinking and a different kind of work. And by the time somebody comes to you from an organization and says, okay, we're, we're ready for this, have you found that the appetite has come from, you know, if you will, the foot soldiers and perforated up to management? Or is this something that managers are looking at increasingly and go, well, okay, we're a little bit entrenched, let's try something a bit different? You know, I think it depends on the level of self-awareness of the leadership, really. Um, uh, and yesterday I was giving a, a talk on disruptive innovation and when I think about disruptive innovation, why is it disruptive? It's because people didn't see it coming, right? And I find that often that's that's what happens inside of, of large organizations, that it's harder to kind of pop your head up and look around because things are so internally focused. And um, when you think about really driving a, a new approach, um, trying to figure out what is that mindset? Is the organization really ready to jump in there? How does that start to, to shape what's possible? Um, becomes really, really important. One of the interesting things I find about human-centered design is that it changes the concept of the, the customer from this, you know, monetizable, homogenous mass into treating people as individuals who may or may not respond to your particular project. Is the tech sector particularly well equipped to deal with this kind of shift? You know, I think the tech sector is is um, very much aware and appreciating the importance of user experience, of user interface, of human-centeredness. Um, and I think the changes are coming to life because the teams and the businesses and the organizations that are winning, right, that are winning the fight for customers for consumers are the ones that are learning the fastest and one of the ways in which to learn faster is to apply the principles of design thinking and to put a wireframe out there or to put a prototype out there and to get feedback really early on and to iterate and refine before the investment is so big that it becomes really hard to change right and so I think tech is actually very well suited to to engage in this kind of approach. And I love that you talk about that shift from really monetization to really being a little more people-centered. And I like to think of that as moving from a transactional relationship with your customer or client or consumer to one that's a little more transformational. How can you deliver them more value, a better experience, um, a memory, something that is excuse me, that's able to be kind of felt in that moment that that they can't get from a competitor or maybe they haven't seen before. But how do you deliver that kind of impact that says this product, this service, this experience was perfectly designed for what I need in this moment and it makes my life better. Uh, and I think there's a lot of magic and opportunity in that space. And looking at those moments, I think... Uh at a wider level in society where we are seeing a move away from, you know, the giant corporate ideal where you are seeing people, if they're buying their food, they prefer to go to, um, you know, farmer's markets. If they're shopping, they prefer to support small businesses. We have this fragmentation in society that we haven't had before when it comes to consumer behavior. Is this something that large organizations are, you know, it's part of their design thinking process to to, to get their heads around this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think they're trying and um, everybody's quite aware of that that shift and that split. And, you know, if you look at small brands, um, you know, kind of back to disruptive innovation, small brands kind of um, really 
taking a, a sizable share of the pie of some larger incumbent firms and brands that historically were untouchable, right? And the mindset of consumers is changing and and business needs to change with that. And I think the larger the organization, often, you know, the harder it is to turn that ship. However, it's it's undeniable. Their employees are having the same mindset shift, right? And so to think that it's happening only for the consumers, I think is a little myopic. The consumer, the, their own employees are having the same dynamic. Um, you know, I like to go to the farmer's market. I like to go to, to buy local as well. And there are some things that you kind of can't get locally yet, um, but, but a lot of things you can, and it feels good. Like there's that, that feeling, that connection of giving back to your community that, that I think is really important. And I don't see that shifting. So I think the challenge for large business is how do you tap into that sense of need to, to establish community, to support a specific community and to feel like you're really, um, showing up in a way that, that people want to connect with, right? That they don't feel like they're being mass marketed to, that um, really that personal touch and experience is important. And I think design thinking offers that, offers the opportunity to be really focused on what are the needs of the user and and what are their needs as people? What do they get excited about? What are their dreams? What are their wishes? And what are their sleep loss issues? And, and you know, maybe some of the sleep loss issues don't show up so much from the consumer standpoint, but they sure do in the leader, right? And so when I think about, you know, the future of design thinking, I think really trying to tap into the leadership is important um, because they've got all kinds of sleep loss issues. They're worried about the shift, right, that you mentioned to the farmer's market, to the local producer. Um, and how do you better understand how to get more ideas, more innovation outcomes from your own people internally? And, you know, from that management perspective, you say that the things like give managers sleep loss. How do you find it feeding back up the ladder that managers can go, we've tried this process and look, here are the appreciable benefits? Mm, yeah, I think that's a that's a, a great point as well. So I think one of the things that that people often struggle with, and I would say myself included, depending on the scope of the challenge, is measurement, right? How do you measure the effectiveness of design thinking? And often it's in uh, more subtle cultural ways, um, because sometimes it takes a couple of years of lead time to to make a shift in a, a process. But um, last night I was, I was having dinner with a, a person who I worked with last year on a, a city civic innovation project and we were talking about how much progress we were able to make in, in only six months time uh, working together to improve an outcome for their citizens in their city and really the whole idea of, of staying in touch with what's possible and looking for people to tell the stories. One of the things that I find when I take people through a design thinking training or even a workshop is that they have a personal transformation. They say, wow, I've never worked like this before. And then they go back and tell 10 other people, right? So they're excited about working in a different way, about really putting people first. It's a lot more exciting to go out and talk to, to someone that you're going to be serving versus read an Excel chart of data about their preferences, about their demographics, about the things that, that they're articulating on a scale of one to five. I can't remember a time when, when I've ever had anybody tell me, hey, you know, I just was so inspired by the data and the Excel chart. People don't say that, right? They say, I was really inspired by the conversation with this end user, and I'm, I, I'm committed 
in a different way to go out and solve this challenge for them because I know the difference that it could make in their life. And it's that human connection that I think does really drive that. But if I think about the leadership and their stories, they can see that, that teams are learning faster via things like prototyping, putting an imperfect idea out there in front of users and getting feedback early and often and making those choices on how to better improve to meet the end user needs, really, really important. It doesn't require a six-figure investment in, in a research test, right? You can go out and talk to people. I often ask people, you know, what would you do if, if um, you had $1,000 to go make your idea come to life, right? Or a 1,000 euro to come, come and bring that, that idea to life. You don't have to have a huge investment to go and do it. And I think that's a shift as well. A lot of organizations are used to working with very large um, firms that, that supply their research arm. And I think there's certainly a place for that. But it doesn't have to be every project. There's a lot of work that can be done in a more scrappy, less expensive way when you start to adopt a design thinking mindset. I think that's a really interesting point that you alluded to there on the power of story, because increasingly in product design, we are seeing the idea of the persona. Who is the person that's going to be using our product? You know, what are they like? What are their wants, needs? How will they be using the the product? Do you think that's a it it sounds like a much more pal, pal, how would you say um, attractive way to uh, approach management and go, look, we're going to construct a story. Your everyday life revolves around a story of what you do in the morning. And of course, it makes your life much easier to do. Uh, if we give you a story of something else, uh, it might connect to something you already know and make an idea easier to sell. Have you found that? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I was I was um, teaching an exec ed program last week and was coaching the students on how do you pitch your idea in a story format? And I think the story is really important. If you think to... Too. You know, thousands of years ago, this is how humans engage, right? They sit around a campfire and they share stories. And it's the stories that we remember. It's not the PowerPoint idea. Right? It's not the three bullets in the memo that talk about the specifics of the idea. And I know that's how a lot of organizations engage. But if you can kick off with, hey, you know, here's the person that we're trying to solve for. Here's a pain point in their life. Here's an idea that we think can really make a difference for them. That is completely different than, than you know, hey, have you thought about these three ways to sell this kind of product? And um, it's not about the transaction any longer. It's really about the transformation within the person that you're solving for. How do you deliver that experience? Um, and, you know, really inspired by the work of Joseph Campbell, who, who um, I think of as kind of the godfather of storytelling. He has a book that, that talks about the hero's journey, and he covers off 19 points of storytelling. And I think that's probably too many for most people to remember. But if you think about kind of what is that transformation from kind of the, we call it the ordinary world, how do you go from where you are right today and what's going to help you over that, that hump that you need to tackle? What's that obstacle in your day that you need to get over? And then what does that transformation look like and what's that ultimate reward? So, so some simple ways to, to really distill a story um, which I'll talk about that in everyday design thinking in the workshop as well at IRDG. 
I think um, your interest there in Joseph Campbell is is really fascinating because for for people who aren't familiar with his work, I mean, you've you've seen it a million times before, before on the big screen, in particular, say in the, in the Star Wars films, where you do yeah. have the call to action and the initial rejection of action before right. embracing one's uh, one's own individual fate. And when you're looking at that initial uh, pushback, if you will, have you seen that happen in corporations uh, as well, or even in uh, groups where people sit down and go, you know? I don't like this this original idea, but uh, maybe a week later it turns to, do, do you know what? I, I actually, I recognize that and it's a good one. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it happens a lot. And we call them um, the skeptics, right? <laughs> so sometimes there's skeptics in leadership and sometimes there's skeptics on the, on the, what we call the solving team or the participants that are trying to tackle the issue. And I think they actually add a lot of value uh, because they're pushing and I think they make the ideas better. Um, because it helps to, to more clearly articulate what is the idea and why does it matter. And if you have somebody asking, I'm not sure I'm there yet, tell me more, right? Or I'm mm-hmm. not buying it, convince me. Then it make, you're forced to make your idea stronger, to bring your story to life and to really be able to, to engage. And when you can, can bring the skeptic along, that's when you know you're on to something, right? Because if, if those people who were initially going, I'm not so sure, are now on board with you, Wow, you know, that's something to be excited about as well, because you can start to to really tap into what they're bringing and to bring their energy and, and influence and expertise to the conversation, too. But, yeah, we call them kind of bringing the skeptics along, converting the skeptics. And that was Niall Kitson talking with Ampersand CEO Holly O'Driscoll. If you'd like to find out more about the Design Thinking Ireland and their conference next week, you can visit the website, which is irdg.ie. That's almost it for this week. Just before we go, Niall, we have one more thing. Uh, One thing we could get into the podcast, but is on the website. Yeah, one thing. uh, Huawei are stepping back a little bit from bendy phones. You can get the lowdown on that and all things tech here in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie. Of course, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get podcasts and you can listen to us each Friday on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. On the next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, Afanal Kitson, thanks for listening and have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by DigitalAudioProductions.com. Tech Central.